Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. So as we dive back into the book of Hebrews, if you've been here with us for the past several weeks, you'll know a lot of the overall context of the book, but I want to hit just a couple of high points. The first one is that the book of Hebrews was written to, guess who? There you go, the Hebrews. So the Hebrews were Messianic Jews. What that means is that they were people of ethnic Jewish descent who chose to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And during this time that this letter was written to them, they were undergoing a lot of persecution. Some of that persecution was coming from society. Some of that persecution was beginning to come from the government. And when it was coming from the government, it was pretty serious. And what we see in beginning in chapter 12 is chapter 12 starts with this incredible word that we see over and over and over in scripture. And it's the word, therefore. Now, when you see the word, therefore, you know that what it is doing is it's connecting you back to whatever the previous thought was. And especially when you see it at the beginning of a chapter, what you have to remember is your Bible was not originally written with chapters and verses. When Paul was writing his letters, he didn't say, okay, now that's the end of chapter eight of the book of Romans, now begins the the chapter nine. That was something that was added much later. I like to call it the GPS coordinates of the Bible, but that's just my personal thing. So what we see is this was actually something that those who were reading the letter to the Hebrews would have just continued on reading after chapter 11. They would have had no reason to have taken a pause. And the writer of Hebrews is connecting chapter 12 to chapter 11. And if you remember from last week, chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith. And that's because the writer of Hebrews goes through and names multiple Old Testament saints that that these Hebrew people would have known were great warriors of faith in the Old Testament. And they they were using their lives as examples. And then in chapter 12, it's almost like the writer is saying, okay, so now that I've covered these people, now I want to show you the principles that I'm wanting to pull out of their lives. So as we go in, we're going to start, obviously, I know, big surprise, we're going to start in verse one, where he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud, crowd rather of witnesses to the life of faith. Now, many of your translations, depending on which one you have, may say a cloud of witnesses. And the significance of that is, is that is a figure of speech that was used during this time to describe a large group of people that were in a Greek amphitheater witnessing a sporting event. So the writer of Hebrews is painting this picture of we have this large amphitheater amphitheater of people filled with people who are witnesses to the life of faith. Now, Oftentimes we like to look at this and we equate this to, okay, all of those saints who have gone before us are now watching our lives, right? And sometimes that can make us feel good, but what we don't see is in the context of this passage, that being the case. When the word witness is used here, it would be almost as if we would say we are witnessing to someone about our own faith, 
So this is not about a large crowd of people watching you live your life. This is a large crowd of people who have come before us who are showing us the impact of living a life of faith. Now, when I talk about the life of faith, I'm a really big person. If you've been through school of discipleship and I happen to be teaching it, you know I'm really big on let's define terms, okay? Because words matter. Because if I say faith and I mean one thing and you hear faith and you think something else, we have a disconnect, right? So when you see the word faith or believe in the Bible, we as Western Christians often like to associate this with intellectual agreement, Okay, I am going to go ahead and say, yes, I believe this thing happened. Or yes, I'm going to have faith that this thing happened or will happen. But the challenge with that is that's not what the writers of the New Testament meant when they said the word, when they used the word faith. When they use the word faith, what they're really saying is it's something that you are putting your trust in. Something that you are surrendering control of your own um, intellectual ability and saying, no, this is where my trust is going to be. My trust is going to be in this life or this race that we're called to. One of the big things that we have to realize is that this faith is not something that we muster up in and of ourselves. It's not about how well you can convince yourself that something is true. See, we see in the Bible that faith is a gift of God and we just have to receive that gift. So it's not about your ability, it's about your willingness to surrender. And here's the thing, this is one of the things that, that uh, a mentor once taught me, was he said, Brett, you're not actually surrendering anything, you're actually surrendering your false sense of self-control. I was like, well, you know, okay, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> a little bit more convicting than I would have liked. Now, the author, to the, book of Hebrew, the author of the book of Hebrews, one of the things that he says here uh, in the first couple of verses is he calls us to run this race with endurance, not with perfection. And how do we know it wasn't with perfection? Well, really, all you have to do is look at the examples that he used in the hall of faith. He used examples like Abraham, who was a liar, Moses, who was a murderer, David, who was an adulterer and a murderer, and then he listed several others, people like Gideon. And I had someone this morning who, uh, who <laughs> whenever I mentioned Gideon, they said, well, he was just a mess. And that's about the truth. If you look at the story of Gideon, if you've not taken the time, I would encourage you, go back, look at the story of Gideon, and you'll see saying that he was a mess is an accurate description. But what that shows us is that this race of faith that we're called to is not one that we're called to be perfect in. It's one that we are called to run with endurance. The next thing that the author says is let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, we like to, when we're reading this, we see things like the weight that slows us down, and we immediately, because sin is following it in the sentence, we immediately associate it with sin, right? I don't know about you, I, do the, I did that the first time I read this chapter many years ago, and I thought, okay, those weights are just the sins that are in my life. We all have them. And by God's grace, he is working through that. But here's the thing is the author is not emphasizing stripping off the weight of sin first. He does, but that's not his first calling. His first call out is strip off every weight that slows us down. Don't hold on to them. And so what we have to stop and realize, and we have to go in with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you know it already as you're sitting here what it is. But sometimes those weights aren't sin. Sometimes that's the weight of shame, of condemnation and guilt from your past. Sometimes that's a weight of distraction. 
Hello, Netflix. Um, sometimes that's the weight of other people's opinions. Now, here's the other piece, is the weight doesn't have to be a bad thing. See, the weight could be something like your tendency to hustle. It could be, here's something a lot of people don't want to really accept, is ministry can be a weight that slows you down if you make it an idol. See, we often like to get into this, this idea of, well, I'm doing the work for the Lord and I'm doing the work for the Lord. I had a very wise man tell me actually this week, he was having a conversation with a minister who had had a major moral failing. And he asked him, where do you think it went wrong? He said, well, you know, I think that what I started to do is I started to fall in love with the work of the Lord instead of falling in love with the Lord of the work. And so we can allow good things to become weights that slow us down, just like anything. So we're called to just release those weights. Then the author of Hebrews goes into, and he says, especially the sin which so easily trips us up. Now, a lot of theologians that are a lot more intelligent than I am would say that this is likely referencing those areas of sin in our life that are consistent burdens that we are carrying, things like addiction um, and things like that. But when I was reading this, what the Lord really hit my heart with was a passage in John 16. And this was Jesus speaking, and he said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's talking to the disciples, and he's telling them that the Holy Spirit is coming. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes to convict the world of its sin. But the beautiful thing is Jesus doesn't leave us hanging, wondering what that sin is. He then follows up, and he says that the sin of the world is that it refuses to believe in or trust in him. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes in my life, I am what I like to call a recovering control freak. And um, that recovery is something that is very much God is actively working on. And because of that, I often want to hold on to things. I want to, the sin that often creeps in on me is this idea of I can control things, of I'm not necessarily surrendering every piece of my life at every moment because I want to hold on to it. But God, I think I can do this. I think I know what would be best in this situation. And we have to realize that we don't. And that's what we're consistently told to do. Here's the thing is when he says the sin of the world is that the world doesn't believe or trust in me, what we have to start to ask ourselves is do we? Have we surrendered those dark areas of our lives that we don't like to tell anybody about? The ones that we do when we're by ourselves at home or they only take place in our own mind and we don't really want to talk about that, we don't really want to bring that into confession because it would hurt. And we would actually have to let go and believe that God is who he said he is and that we can trust him with those things. See, whenever, anytime I get into that mindset, I always go back to Matthew 11, where Jesus said this, and I want you to listen closely. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now here's the challenge. If you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've likely heard that verse over and over and over and over and Jesus tells us to bring us his burdens and Jesus tells us to bring us his burdens. So what do you do? Well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to take my, my burdens to Jesus, right? Like we just know that. But here's what I want you to want to emphasize to you. If you look at that passage of scripture in Matthew 11, what Jesus consistently says is come to me 
all you who are weary. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And why? Because then you will find rest for your souls. See, the rest that we seek, it's not found in behavior modification. And the challenge is that we live in a secular world today that is really big on self-help and behavior modification. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is calling us to surrender. Because here's the reality. This is going to hurt some of your feelings. And as Pastor Tyson would say, another feel-good message at Vision Church. You're not enough. And you won't be. And you can't be. There's not enough of, there's not enough books, seminars. I almost said CDs and that would have dated myself a little bit. (laughs) There's not enough MP3s that you can listen to that are going to help you build yourself up enough to be enough to be an overcomer in this life. Because it's not about your behavior modification. It's about your focus and your surrender. And when you get into the mode of realizing that this is a life, this is a calling on your life, not to become a better person. This is a calling on your life. As Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means he woke up every morning and he laid himself down and he picked up the spirit of God working in his life. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ that lives within me. See, in Romans 12, Paul tells us, that we should present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, that is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? It's reasonable because if you don't, you're trying to do it in your own strength. That was the curse that started back in Genesis. And that's not how we were created to live. See, what we have to do, and I love the way the the author of Hebrews puts this, is he says in verse 3, excuse me, in verse two, he says, we do this, we run this race with endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, some translations, depending on the translation you have, it may say Jesus who is the author and finisher of your faith. See, the beauty of that is, is that you didn't start it and you can't finish it. All you can do is surrender to it. And if you're not willing to surrender to it, then you're going to live a life apart from God. And it's not that God is damning you in those circumstances, it's that you are damning yourself by trying to do it yourself. See, here's the reality. I have a five-year-old son and I love him and he is hands down one of the most independent people that I've ever met. I have no idea where he got that from. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. But here's what, here's what I have to realize, what he often has to realize and it's, ch- it's a challenge for him, is he can't do some things by himself. There are times that he has to come to me in humility and ask for help. And that's not a picture of him being a bad kid. It is a picture of he lacks the ability to do it himself. And when we talk about living and running this race with endurance, this race of faith, we have to come to the point where we understand that we lack the ability to do it ourselves. And when we do, that's when we can begin to surrender. See, if I'm going way back, I'm, I'm gonna do a throwback here to Hebrews 11 from last week, when in Hebrews 11:27 it says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. 
See, this is the thing is the author is pulling out these principles from the, from the lives of these Old Testament saints. And here's what I would challenge you to remember is it is your focus that will determine your finish line. And that's alliteration, so that means it's true. Um, but <laughs> here's the thing is wherever your focus is, that's as far as you're going to go. If your focus is on where you're at right now, if your focus is on your circumstances, where you're standing, if your focus is on the person who's running beside of you, you will go no further than what you're looking at. But what the writer of Hebrews it tells us to do is the only way that we can run this race with endurance is by keeping our eyes on Jesus because he's the only one who's actually finished the race. And the more we do that, the more we are equipped to be effective witnesses for him. See, one of the things that I see that I've seen more than anything, and the beauty of this message and, and even this series of the book of Hebrews is the subtitle. And I love this subtitle. I had nothing to do with it because I didn't even know that I was going to be preaching this message until uh, Pastor Tyson's wife went into labor. But <laughs> the subtitle is Jesus over everything. So here's what I've realized is in this life, in this race of faith, we are called to raise Jesus over everything. And if you'll do that in your life, what'll happen is your eyes won't get fixed on the obstacle, regardless of how big it is. Your obstacle, your life won't, your eyes won't get fixed on the weeds that are entangling your feet, regardless of how strong they may be, because you can look forward to the author and the finisher of your faith and know it's not about your ability, it's about him doing it in and through you. And that's where the rest is. See, that's the key here is that's where the rest is. The rest is in truly understanding you can't do it. Because if you can't do it and he's got to, there's rest in that. There's faith in that. There's hope in that. And there's joy in that. See, Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter one, verse six, he says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns Here's the thing, is you can't, and this is something that I have been so guilty of, it's not confession time, but sometimes, you know, you get the mic and that's what it is. You can't tell where you're, out in the, where you're at in the race from your own perspective. Because if you're trying to measure your progress and your standing with God and in this race of faith from where you're standing, you have a skewed perspective. And because of that, it is, absolutely pivotal that we learn that dependence on God. And here's the other piece. Paul says, here's the way he says it. We will continue in, or he will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now I didn't plan this with the worship team. Um, frankly, like I said, I had no idea I was going to be preaching this message until Thursday. And so I had no idea that this was exactly the song that they were going to sing. But here's the, here's the big thing. If you're not dead, he's not done. And as long as there's breath in your lungs and life in your body, he's not done with you yet. I don't care what you did. I don't care what somebody else did to you. He's not done with you yet. And somebody needs to know that today. You need to know that regardless of your circumstances, no matter how dark it may look, God's not done with you yet. And there's still time and there's still work that he is doing in and through your life. See, when we get to this point of realizing that we can't measure 
our circumstances or measure our, our standing from our perspective, that's when we can start to realize as the author goes, as the author of Hebrews goes in through verses five all the way through verse 13, that our circumstances are absolutely no indicator of our standing with God. And when you start to realize that, that's when you can let go. See, the uh, verses 5 through 13, what the author is saying is he's talking about the discipline of God. And we see in Romans 8 that Paul says that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? So what we know is regardless of what your circumstances are, God is working together for them. But here's the way Peter said it. And I want you to realize when it, this reference, it's in 1 Peter chapter 4, when Peter wrote this letter, he was writing it to a people that were being brutally persecuted and murdered. It wasn't a fun time to be a Christian at this time. It was not even something that really you could, with any degree of assurance of the continuation of your life, tell your neighbor. But if you were going to share the faith, you were literally taking your life into your own hands. And here's what Peter told those Christians, not the ones who get hung up because you got held up in traffic on the way to church. I'm talking about people who, most people don't realize, but the term Roman candle, and I'm, this is not in the notes, so here you go. Uh, the term Roman candle was actually something that was invented during the time of the emperor Nero. And Nero was persecuting Christians to the point that he would take a Christian and he would strap them to a pillar in the streets of Rome and he would coat them in tar and light them on fire. That's the term Roman candle. And that was the type of persecution and death that these Christians had that they knew that was a possibility for their life. And here is what Peter said to those Christians. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ and his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. See, Peter was saying, you've got to count it all joy. You have to remember that regardless of what's going on around you, that there is a God in heaven and that he is working in and through your circumstances for your good. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine, God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And yet, for some reason, we still try to imagine it. We still try to think that we've got the in on what it is that God's doing. See, what we have to realize is that regardless of our circumstances, we're still called to run the race. Now, what we often like to do, uh, or what some of us, and I say us because I am right in that boat, is we like to take these circumstances and say, okay, I'm going to completely ignore these circumstances. I'm going to completely ignore what's going on, and I'm just going to press forward. That's not what we're called to do. See, we're called to look at our circumstances through the lens of God's wisdom. Now, how do we do that? It's very simple. It's time with him, time in his word, and time with the body of Christ and community. Because when our circumstances are coming, there may be something that God is going to use that circumstance to teach you. And if you choose to ignore it and just compartmentalize it and put it behind you and only keep going forward, you may miss the lesson that God's trying to teach you. But if you'll take the time to examine those circumstances and understand that God's ways are higher than yours, but he will reveal them to you so that you can learn. This, the, the beauty of being a parent is when my children need disciplined, however that may be, 
I am not doing it just to discipline them. I'm doing it with the intention of teaching them. So when your circumstances seem really rough, that is a call of, on your life to surrender and say, okay, God, what is it that you're wanting to teach me in this? Now, I'm not talking about God sending struggles and pain against you. This is all about God using our struggles and our pain to work all things, like we said in Romans 8, together for our good. And then we see this interesting shift in verses 12 and 13, where the author of Hebrews goes into what I like to, when I originally read it, I like to see, I saw it as like, this seems like a bootstraps message. Like, all right, now it's time to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Here's what he says. And you tell me if this is what you get or what you hear. He says, so take up a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become, become strong. So when I first read that, I thought, well, that's odd. It seems like he's saying, this is the way we would say it in Tennessee, buck up, buttercup, let's go. But when I started to read it even more in depth, I started to realize that what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's calling out our weakness. He's, not, he's saying to keep going in spite of our weakness. See, in verse 12, he says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Here's the way that Paul put it. He went to the Lord three different times asking the Lord to take the thorn from his flesh. And Paul said, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So then Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, this bootstraps message that we see in verse 12 and 13, it's not about, hey, pick yourself up and keep going. Hey, hold on tighter. It's about recognizing the weakness that you have. And again, you're gonna hear me say it over and over and over again, realizing you're not enough, but he is. Because if he is the one who is renewing your grip, if he is the one who is strengthening your weak knees, then you can mark out a straight path for your feet. And then you can become part of that hall of faith. You can become part of those people that we are able to use as a witness to the life of faith to point to, to say, look what God has done. Now, we're being called to continue in this race. We're being called to lean on and surrender to God and to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But there's one piece that the author of Hebrews made sure not to leave out. And that's in verses 14 and 15. He says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, this race, we're not called to run it alone. And the beauty of this is that God saw fit to put us into the body of Christ and community. And here, the author of Hebrews is realizing, or is not realizing, he is reinforcing to us the importance of that community. And here's the thing that a lot of people miss about community. And my wife and I are blessed that we've led our Connect Group ministry for uh, the past year. And one of the things that you'll realize whenever you begin to press into community is it's not a matter of if, but when conflict will happen. 
So the challenge when it comes to that not if but when conflict happens, it's not about whether or not we're holy enough to avoid having conflict. It's about whether or not we're willing enough and surrendered to the plans and purposes of God enough to do the hard work of resolving that conflict. See, here's, here's the way Jesus, here's what Jesus prayed for you and for me. In John 17, people call this the high priestly prayer. He said, I'm not praying only for these disciples, that's the ones that were standing around him, but also for, the, for all who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. See, here's the thing. Our willingness as the body of Christ to let down our walls and enter into community, regardless of the risks, regardless of how vulnerable we have to be, is a call on our life and it will lead to conflict. But what Jesus is praying for is not a perfect body. He's praying for a body that is willing to stand in the gap and say, no, we're gonna do the hard work of resolving that conflict and showing the unity of the body of Christ to a broken, dying, and fallen world. And if we're willing to do the hard work of staying in relationship and staying in community, as Jesus put it, the purpose of that is so that the world will believe that he was sent by God. See, there's power in the body. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, two people are better, better than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, then the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So above and beyond all, we are not just called to run the race. We're not just called to run it with endurance and surrender, but we're called to run it in community. Now in verses 18 through 28, we have covered this multiple times throughout this Hebrew series. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to give a quick summarization of that. Because if you go back to the previous weeks on our YouTube channel, which I would encourage you to do if you happen to miss any, you will see Pastor Tyson go in a lot of depth of what verses 18 through 28 are contrasting. And they're contrasting the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so there, the picture that the, that the author of Hebrews is using here is the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And Mount Sinai was when the presence of God was on the mountain and he literally in Exodus 19 told the Israelites, don't even allow your livestock to come onto the mountain. And if they do, kill them from a distance because if you come on, you'll die. And that is a picture of the removal and the distance of, from the people of God to God. But then the author references Mount Zion. And with Mount Zion, he talks about that that distance is no longer there. That separation is no longer there. That we are now able to enter into the presence of our God and be in relationship with him through the blood of Jesus. Now, as we're moving on to chapter 13, I have to say this is where the author of the book of Hebrews really speaks to my heart because he starts to bullet point his closing summary. And for those of you who think like me, who my wife says are very few and far between, you'll love the bullet points that he goes through. Because in a very few, very short amount of distance, he goes through, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Remember those in prison. Remember also those being mistreated. Give honor in marriage. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. And then he closes out these bullet points with saying in, in verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food. Now, why, were he, why was he referencing food? It was because the, it was a common challenge for Jewish, ethnic Jewish people to go back to because the law of Moses was a lot about dietary restrictions. And so it was very easy for them to go back to this reference of food, but he's not highlighting food. He's highlighting the, I, this right here, your strength comes from God's grace. And that's what we've talked about this entire time. So as we start to close here in verse 10, I want to emphasize just a couple of things. In verse 10, the author of Hebrews says, we have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, here's what I want to emphasize. During this time of the book of Hebrews being written, the temple system was still very much alive, according to historians. Most historians believe that the book of Hebrews were written somewhere around the time period of 67 AD, and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was right around 70 AD. So he is writing to Jewish believers who are very aware of what's continuing as he's writing this in the temple as a process of sacrifice. And they are attempting to go back to that faith. But what he says is we have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him, go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. See, one of the things that the author of Hebrews wanted to emphasize here was this idea of being outside of the city gates. See, in the time of when Israel was a mobile people, they were a mobile church, you've seen that. When Israel was a mobile church, they had specific rules and laws about what they would do with people who were unclean or unpure, and they would send them outside of the city gates. To have to live outside of the city gates at this time was a sign of guilt, of condemnation, and of shame. And what the author of Hebrews is really emphasizing here is he says, Jesus suffered and died outside of those city gates. He did so to make his people holy by the means of his own blood. And then he calls us to go out to him. See, the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that we have the opportunity to go outside the city gates and we have the opportunity to crucify our guilt and our shame, not because of anything we have done, but because of the work of the Son of God to take upon himself the guilt and shame of the world. Here's what we as believers have to look forward to. In Revelation chapter 21, verses two through four, John the Revelator says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. 
all these things are gone forever. Now, there may be somebody here today who you say, Brett, I've not taken that first step to enjoy the presence of God like you're talking about. I know that we're promised in Revelation 21, but you may be saying right now, I've not taken that first step of surrender. I'm here and I've spent my entire life trying to do things myself and I know where you're at because I was there too. I don't have time to share my entire testimony, but I can tell you there was a period of my life where I was a very serious and devout atheist and I knew what it was like to try to do everything in my own power. And here's what I wanna tell you, if you're here this morning and you're in that place, you don't have to. There's rest and there's rest because the God of the universe realized you couldn't do it. And because he realized and he knew you couldn't do it, he chose to come down and stand in the gap. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Amen.